This week we are stepping into one of the, the best known parts of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 has been called the Hall of Faith. As it's like a gallery of snapshots of men and women of the Old Testament who displayed faith in a whole variety of situations. And in particular, this was a persevering faith. A faith that kept on going, that, kept, that was unshakable despite the challenges and pressures it was put under. And the clear impact of this gallery is to encourage us to demonstrate that same persevering faith in our lives. To hold on to our trust in Jesus. To right, keep going right to the end as we rest in His finished work. So as we spend time with these men and women, I hope that we will grow in our understanding of what faith looks like, what it does, how it overcomes, and how it will enable us to persevere in our faith in Christ. So this morning we're just going to read the first seven verses of this amazing chapter. And we're going to see, first of all, the necessity of this better faith. And Alison's going to come and she's going to read to us. Thank you, Alison. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God, formed at God's command, so that it was seen and was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commanded as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when he when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, um, he commended the world and became heir of righteousness. And that is in keeping with faith. Thank you very much, Alison. That was great. In these verses, we can see at least five reasons why faith is necessary. The first one is that without faith, we'll never be certain. Last week, if you're a member, if you were here, we looked again at the call to persevere in our Christian lives. We saw that there are those who shrink back, who reject Jesus, 
And they demonstrate that they've never really put their trust in Jesus. They've never had genuine faith in Jesus before. And as a result, they're heading to a lost eternity under the, the dreadful judgment of God. But those who keep persevering with Christ, who keep depending on Jesus, who follow Him to the end, they demonstrate that they are children of God and that they will share in His glory. So the challenge was this. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. But our problem is that we can't see that reality just now. We can't experience all that God has promised just now. Now, I know that some preachers claim that we can. They say that we can experience our best life now. That if we just have enough faith, or if we just do all the right things, or if we just give them some money, then we'll experience all that we long for in this life. But that's simply not true. Certainly wasn't like that for the original readers of this letter. They'd already been publicly exposed to insult and persecution. They'd been ridiculed, attacked, imprisoned, had their property stolen. They didn't have everything that they wanted now. And though our situation is very different from theirs, none of us will experience everything that we want now. Yes, if we are in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've already received His forgiveness and His grace and His acceptance and access into God's presence. But if we're really going to be honest this morning, we need to confess that we still struggle with sin. That we still are suffering in this fallen world. That we still carry heartbreak of what has happened to us in our lives. And that we're still hungry, as we were saying about. We're still hungry for more of God. For more of His love and more of His joy and more of His peace. We don't have everything that we want right now. And that's not because we're doing it all wrong. The Bible is clear that this is what the Christian life will be like. This side of heaven. It's not about experiencing all the comfort and all the ease and all the satisfaction and all the pleasure that we want right now. There will always be longing. There will always be an aching for more. This is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan because we're waiting for something to come. 
We don't have everything that we want right now. So how do we keep going in the face of this? When our lives are not everything that we long for, when we wonder if we'll ever be just like Jesus, when we suffer the pain of loss and wonder if we'll ever be whole again, how can we hold on to the promises of God and persevere to the end when we cannot see it or experience it yet? How can we be sure that we will experience that? How can we live in the joyful expectation of all that we'll experience in heaven? Well, the answer of this passage is by faith. Verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's faith that enables us to have that unwavering confidence in the promises of God. An absolute assurance that although we can't see it yet, we will one day. Without that faith, we'll never be certain. We'll always be unsure of whether living for Christ is really worth it or not. We'll always be tempted to give up. But with this kind of faith, we can live wholeheartedly for Christ. We can persevere to the end. We can stand our ground no matter how difficult it gets. Because we are sure that we will receive everything that God has promised. Not because we are confident in ourselves. This is not about faith in ourselves and our own ability. But because we have confidence in Christ. We know what he has done. We rejoice in what he has promised. Because we know that he who promised is faithful. And it's that kind of faith that's illustrated throughout this chapter, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. A faith that goes beyond what we can see, but is convinced that what God has said is true and is worth living for, no matter what it costs us. And it all starts with understanding Understanding what this world is all about. The Bible begins, as, you, as many of you will know, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 with this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It states that this world is the product of God's creativity and power. He designed it and he spoke it into existence. And he did it for a purpose. Paul wrote about Jesus that all things were created by him and for him. That's Colossians chapter 1. He made this world for his honour and for his glory. 
And the evidence of all of this is all around us. Romans 1.20 says this, Since the creation of this world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal nature, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> being understood from what is made. Clearly seen. And yet when a lot of people look around at this world, they don't see this reality. Even many people who study this intensely and even wonder and glory in the, in the, in the beauty and the majesty, they don't see the fingerprints of God. Instead, all they see is a world that came about through random processes over billions of years. That's what they see in the world. So why can they not see what to many of us is obvious? Why can't they understand that this universe shows all the evidence of the incredible design? Because it's been designed and created by a wonderful designer. Well, verse 2 tells us, he says it's by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was invisible. Yes, there is evidence all around us to help us to come to this conviction. If we investigate it with an open mind, it's the most reasonable conclusion to come to. In fact, many people have investigated it for themselves and and have come to that conclusion. But of course, none of us were there at the beginning. None of us saw God create this world. And so if we are going to understand this, we need to take a step of faith to see what to others is invisible. In the 1990s, these auto-stereograms, as they were called, became all the rage. The guy, Jeff, was talking about them on last yesterday at our men's morning. These were these 2D images that in them hid a 3D image, like the one you can see below it. Now, you're supposed to look at them, gaze at them, and suddenly this image popped out. But I could never see it. I tried, tried all the techniques of, you're supposed to focus behind it or something like that or relax your eyes or whatever. I could just never see it. All I could see was a mixture of chaos and and colour. But other people would be like, wow, look at the shark as it pops out or look at the the car or look at the house or whatever it is. And all my scepticism wouldn't change their conviction because they could see what I could not. Both of us were looking. And it was there. But they could see it and I could not. In a sense, that's what faith does in our lives. All that some people see when they look at this world is colour and chaos. But by faith, 
we can see the deeper truth that this world belongs to God and demonstrates his power and majesty because he spoke it into his existence. We're not seeing something that's not there. We're just seeing something that somebody else can't see because they don't have that faith. And this understanding of why this world is here is a very foundation of how we should live. Because it means that we have been created by God. So we belong to God. And our ultimate purpose, our highest goal, should be to live for His glory and His honour. And that's what Abel understood. He and his brother Cain both brought sacrifices to God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 4. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. These were the sons of, of Adam and Eve. The first brothers. So they both brought these sacrifices to God, but God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Why was that? Well, some people have suggested that it was because Abel brought the best, the firstborn of his flock, showing that he was giving God his first priority in his life, where Cain, he just brought some of the produce of his land. Others have suggested it was because Abel's sacrifice was the only blood sacrifice. And as we've read in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But what the writer of Hebrews says, it was because... By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. The vital difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel was not so much to do with the the quality or the kind of sacrifice. The vital difference was the heart of the one who gave the offering. Abel's offering was accepted because it was offered by faith. He was, accepted, he was expressing his humble trust, his complete dependence on God, and his gratitude for all that God had done. And so by faith, he was commended as a righteous man. But Cain, his offering was unacceptable. Because although Cain was involved in a kind of a religious activity, his heart wasn't right with God. If you read the rest of the chapter of chapter 4, you see that reality being expressed. He wasn't trusting in God. He hadn't put his complete dependence on Him. So today, it doesn't matter how much we give to God. Or how much we sacrifice for Him. Without faith, 
will never be accepted by God. That's because what has always mattered to God is if we have faith in Him or not. As we read last week, my righteous one will live by faith. And so today, by faith, Abel still speaks into our lives, even though he is dead. He still challenges us to put our faith in God and to trust in His ultimate, better, perfect sacrifice. Of course, not the sacrifice of a lamb or a bull or a goat, but of the one who has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Without faith in Jesus and his sacrifice of himself on the cross will never be accepted by God. But fourthly also, without faith will never please God. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Enoch was Noah's, <coughs> excuse me, Noah's great-grandfather. Incredibly, he was just taken out of this world without dying one day. He was just living normally one moment, and then the next moment he was gone. God simply took him to be with him. Why was that? Why did Enoch not have to die? Well, verse 5 tells us, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleases God. Now, this does not mean that Enoch was sinless. The Bible is really clear that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of God's standard. But Enoch did bring pleasure to God. That's because according to Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God. He lived each day with God in a proper relationship with God, in a loving communion with God. And his goal was to honour God and to bring God glory. And he did this by depending on him, by trusting him, by putting his faith in him. Enoch walked with God because he had a life of faith in God. Because that's the only way that we can please God. So it says in verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. doesn't matter what we do. How well we might live. How respectable we might be. doesn't matter what we can achieve. If we do not put our faith in God, if we are not trusting in Him, then we'll never please Him. And so if we want a life that will overcome death, like Enoch did, an eternal life that starts now and will go on forever and ever and ever, then we also need a life of faith. 
It's what Jesus said in John chapter 5. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What matters is that we have put our faith in Jesus. And then we will overcome death. Just as Enoch did. But what does that faith look like? What does it mean to put faith in Jesus? Well, verse 6 goes on to say, Anyone who comes to him, comes to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Three aspects of faith here. First of all, we need to come to God. We need to recognize our need of him. And we need to seek Him. We need to long for Him. We need to hunger for Him. We need to draw near to Him. Because we're desperate for Him. But of course to do that, we need to believe He exists. We live in this strange relativistic age, don't we? Where some people say, well, I have my truth and you have your truth. And, you know, they both can be true. But real faith is based on facts. It's based on a truth that's an absolute truth. Whether you believe it or not, it's still true. So it's based on the absolute truth that the God of the Bible is real. That He is the one true and living God. So if we're going to have faith in Jesus, we need to come to Him. We need to believe that He exists. But we don't just need to believe in His existence, but also in His goodness. In His faithfulness. In His grace. That, as it says here, that He rewards all those who seek Him. That seeking God and depending on God for everything is worthwhile. It's worth it. Because we believe that God will keep His promise. And He will rescue us. If we want a life that pleases God, if we want to be rescued from death, if we want an eternal life that starts now and goes on forever, we need to have a life of faith. We need to come to Jesus. We need to believe in Him. And we need to trust in his goodness. And finally, that's what Noah did. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Noah had never seen a worldwide flood before. But when God told him, and commanded him to build an ark to save his family and the biodiversity of this world, Noah obeyed. He trusted in God's goodness and his faithfulness, and he built an ark in reverence and some dependence on God. 
And he did this despite all of those who were around him who didn't believe him. They refused to listen. They refused to repent. And so by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The majority, they rejected God's message and so they were condemned. They were lost. But no one in his family believed. They put their trust in God. They accepted his plan of salvation. And because of that, they were saved. And that can be our story too. If we put our faith in Jesus, if we stand firm in the place of, in the, in the face of ridicule and, and rejection and opposition from all those who, who turn away from Jesus, then God's promise is that we will be saved. As we read last week, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So this is the necessity of faith. Without faith, we'll never be certain. Never be certain of the future. Always living in that place of unbelief. Without faith we'll never understand our purpose in this world. Without faith we'll never be accepted by God. Without faith we'll never please God. Without faith we'll never be rescued by God. So my prayer and my plea is that each one of us will put our faith in Jesus today. And that we'll keep going. No matter what, right to the end. So that we will receive everything that God has promised.